just drop an insight of wisdom into, into that. I mean, we, we don't do that. <laughs> it's just a thought. <laughs> but, but it's true, isn't it? Um, put another way, have you ever wondered why relationships, even close ones, have their really hard times? Why isn't it straightforward and easy? Have you ever wondered why so many people aren't journeying through life with the friends they had when they were at school? How come so many people have not got those friendships now? They've dropped off. Why is that? Have you let yourself think and wonder, why do marriages fail? Why do so many marriages fail when, when people are promising everything to one another and they genuinely love one another? How does that happen? Or have you wondered why so many men in their 40s and above um, haven't got many friends that they could ring in the middle of the night with a problem? Well, I couldn't ring him. No, definitely not. No, he's just a, I could ring him, but he's away. Why is it that so many men just get down to a really, really tight, small number of people? You know, I met someone recently who was in their 40s, and he said, I've been attending this church, it wasn't here, for two and a half years. And he said, my wife knows everybody. She comes in and she chat, 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 chats away. And he says, I, I don't know anyone. He says, I leave after chatting to the same guy or same couple of guys each week, and I don't even know their name. He said, I've got to do something about it. I'm kind of nodding. <laughs> It'd be a good idea. Why is it that this sort of thing happens in so many people's lives? You know, relationships are hard work sometimes, aren't they? Can I get a wave? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, let's get some honesty. Relationships are hard work. Don't worry if you're sitting next to your spouse. They, they are well aware of the fact that you struggle at times just as they do too, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, it must be other people's problems, right? The fact that there's problems in life must be to do with other people. I mean, we like, just point at someone if you would. Would you, would you have a go at pointing, point across the room if you like. I give you permission to have a go at pointing at someone. Now, just bring that finger round now, and how many fingers does it join? There's, there was three, now there's four. I wonder if the problem could actually be me. And you'd like it if it was me, wouldn't you? But I'm saying you. You'd love it if it was just me. You know, James actually gives us an enlightening revelation in James chapter 4 and verse, in verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's a great thought. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within me? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, we don't kill. We will often just destroy with words. So don't they come from the desire, or you desire, sorry, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire what you do, but you do not have, so you kill with words. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, you know, could it actually be true that a lot of the problems that are around my relationships are here. Me. Not other people, but me. Could it be that for you and for me? Yeah. You know, I have discovered that it pays to have a really realistic view of how life works. That a view that matches reality is the best view, 
right? Unreality is it's everyone else's fault, therefore I'll try and fix them. And if you get into marriage trying to fix the other person, what happens? If you get into a close relationship with someone trying to fix them, what happens? What happens? What happens? Yeah. You don't have a friend after a little while if you're trying to fix other people out there. Because the truth is the only person we can actually work upon is us. And the Bible's actually saying we're the ones that we're supposed to be concentrating on. Let me take you back to the very first relationship in the Bible. God creates one man and a whole lot of animals, right? And each animal animal has a has a mate. <laughs> and God says to this man, "Go and name them all." And and man was created out of dirt, right? And, and that, I think that's why men don't mind getting dirty. I mean, it's just something that most men don't mind. It's part of how life rolls out. And, and uh, uh, Don had the Icons boys right at the beginning, and they've got a, an acronym for their values that they have that spell dirt. So um, I think the first one's discipline, and the second one's integrity, and you can spend a few minutes thinking about what the others might be. But anyway, he says to these boys, okay, boys, get your hands wet. Now go out into the, into the gardens and get a whole lot of dirt, and then rub it all over your face. And these boys just sprint out, yay, making war paint with dirt. You know? And then he has his, his time of talking about the values that they're actually there. But women are very unlikely to do that. They weren't created out of dirt. In fact, most of them are allergic to the stuff. A woman likes, generally likes order and beauty because she was created from a very different place. And as Adam named the animals, he would have been very aware that each one of them had a partner, that they had company in their lives, and that at times they got up to stuff that they enjoyed. And he'd go, oh, come on, I'm here to count you and give you a name, elephants. Stop doing that stuff. Are you with me? And I believe God did this purposefully so that Adam would know what he was missing when he got her. And she would be valued and treasured when she arrived on the scene. And there's lots of symbolism in, in what part God created Eve from. She wasn't from Adam's feet so that he could think he could walk all over her. And she wasn't from his head so that she would control him. But she was from his side, close to his heart, so she would be loved and she would be cherished. And can I just say as an aside, when it, there comes a time when a young man or a young woman awakens to the possibility of marriage. That's part of how life actually rolls out. Can I say stay away from porn? Because it falsely satisfies the desires that are supposed to signal and get you ready for marriage. But anyway, God puts Adam to sleep. And, and then he wakes up and he sees this fully grown woman in all of her glory before him. And he goes, wow, man, wow, man, woman, woman. Woman. Um, sorry, Don. And I think that's probably where the, where the, how the name came about. And they get together and they enjoy this perfect relationship for years and years and years. And they're the only couple that ever have. The only couple that get this perfect time together. Until suddenly 
sin enters into things. And that's what I want to pick up in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 19. I'm reading from the New Living. The serpent had been talking to the woman, and it says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and all its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid. Would you say that with me? I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman. You gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And the woman, uh, the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. So here's this first relationship that was perfect. And sin enters into it. And sin brings brokenness to both Adam and to Eve. And the Bible tells us, especially in the book of Romans, that that brokenness didn't just stay in Adam and Eve, it continued into every single generation. That somehow when Adam and Eve sinned, something that wasn't supposed to be there was infused into the spiritual DNA, if you like, of mankind. And every single person is born with that same brokenness. We are all broken. And this is why I say it's really important to have a view of reality that's based on truth. That is based on how the world actually functions. We're broken. And we have those symptoms of brokenness that Adam and Eve had right at the very beginning in all of us. They will show, it will show up in similar sorts of ways, even though it's a little bit diffused and different because of the different personality that we carry. But I want to just show you three traits and help you, I hope, to be able to see that these things are absolutely in you. Firstly, there was a fear And the brokenness comes out of this fear that suddenly was exposed. And it was the fear that they would be seen for who they really were. It was the fear, actually, that they were exposed, of being exposed. And that caused Adam to become distant and Eve to become distant. They wanted to hide. And then secondly, the fear caused them to become defensive. And often the best form of defense is... The best form of defense is, just call it out, attack. And so the second thing that comes from this fear of being exposed, the first thing is the fear of being exposed makes us distant with people. We don't let them see all all that we are. We we hold ourselves away from people. We hold things uh, uh, hidden. And then secondly, we become defensive or attacking, which are two sides of the same coin. And the third thing is to become 
controlling or dominating. So let me just unpack this fear of being exposed and becoming distant a little bit. In, in chapter 3, in verses 8 to 10, it says this, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God asks Adam and Eve two questions. And when God does this, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God knows everything, remember? He wants Adam to know the answer. And if God ever asks you a question, it's not because he's needing information. He wants you and me to know the answer to the question. So he asks him, and he says what he wants him to know is to realize where he now is and what it is or who it is that is speaking. And he wants Adam to know that Adam is now in a broken place. He wants Adam to realize this is his reality. He's broken on the inside. And his feelings of shame are speaking to him. In other words, the sin in Adam's life is speaking to him. Well, where are we at today? And what's speaking to us? And the answer is we're broken. And our sin is speaking to us. It's shouting out shame, condemnation. You're worthless. You don't amount to much. If people knew you, they wouldn't like you. That's what our sin is shouting out inside every single one of us. Ray Comfort, that great preacher from Christchurch here, once said to me, he said he was so glad that, that uh, he didn't have a screen on the front of his forehead that showed everything he was thinking. He did not want people to know what was going on inside his mind. He didn't want one of those screens being there because if it was there, he would be totally exposed. And we all know deep down inside that we're not perfect. True? There's a lot of ugly inside of us, and it causes us to have low self-esteem. And we don't like all the things that are in us. And we hope that other people won't find out about some of those things, because then they probably wouldn't like me if they knew what I was really like. So we hold people at bay. We hold our relationships. We let people get so close, but we won't show everything, because probably they won't like us. And many men and, men and women have this fear of being exposed, of not being good enough, of actually being unlovable. And then there's defensive. This is the next thing that happened for Adam and Eve, and it's true of us. In verse 12, the man replies it was the woman, and, and she was to blame, and uh, the woman says it was the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> now, the best defense is usually attack, right? Right? And so it's common, if we get criticized, what do we do? We, we mouth off, and, we, and we, we start criticizing back, or we say, it's not my fault, and we blame it over here. It's so easy. And in our relationships, if someone says something that looks like it's going to expose the stuff inside of us that we don't want anyone to know about, often we will try to deflect or we will go after the person themselves. And hurtful words get spoken. And you know that saying, sticks and stones will... But it's not true, is it? And the words become like spears that get into us. And sometimes we're acting out and we're 40 or 30 years of age, but we're acting out as if we were just a kid because the pain is there of what someone said to us when we were 9 or when we were 10. But you know... Hurtful words and brokenness in relationships is not the end. Isn't it fantastic? Because yeah. we'd, be, we'd all be on a 
on an island by ourselves <laughs> from the bad things that we've said to people if it was the end. But man, there's such power in the word sorry when it comes from here. It can, it can just diffuse so much hostility and so much power because the, the world actually knows. Well, well the, the power of God is forgiveness. That's what Jesus came to do, to, to restore. And it can happen in any relationship that you have. We had a prophecy this morning that God was going to uh, take scabs, so not fully healed wounds, and the scab was going to come off of people's lives. Maybe there's a brokenness in a relationship that you have. Maybe there's a brokenness that stretches back five or seven or years or, or, or is quite recent. And God wants to actually bring forgiveness. God wants to pour his healing power into that, into that wound and, and give you the ability to be able to forgive that person and love that person and, and have restore relationship with that person. Hurtful words happen because of this basic thing that's programmed within every single one of us, but it was never programmed by God. It was programmed by Satan. Something happened in Adam and Eve's um, deliberate, Adam's deliberate sin, which infused something into us that was never supposed to be there. Defensive. And then there's controlling or dominating that, that comes as well. In, in verse 16, it says, Your desire will be to control your husband, and he will want to dominate you. In other words, we're, we're designed to want to get our way. Has anyone noticed you like this? That you like winning? If there's a problem and an argument, you want to be the one that wins? It's programmed into us. And these three responses affect every single one of us, and they explain everything from relationship breakdowns to wars across our planet. And I hope you can see it's not everyone else has a problem. It's you and I have a problem as well. And you can mess up your life and your relationships, and you can go to Aussie or you can go to England or you can go to Brazil, but when you get there, do you know who you're going to find is there? You. And you can mess up something within a church and you can say, I'm going to another church now. But when you get to that new church and you want everything to be different, the problem is you're there. And unless we deal with the things that are going on in here and allow those forgiveness things that God wants to see happen, we will reproduce those again and again. Do you know why the children of Israel went round and round in the desert? And God would say, oh, well, go around the mountain again. Go around the mountain again. It's because these things are inherent in our nature. And we have to start capturing the lie when we start to think, I better get distant from this woman. She's knowing too much about me. I better just pull back and not talk. Or I better attack her because she's saying something that I don't like, and I'm going to make it her fault. And when these lies are saying, do this, do this, do this, and we don't even realize it, we've got to capture them and replace them with something else. So what is the antidote? And they all come from fear. So what is the antidote for fear? Excellent, Ziggy. Some of you might have thought faith, but it's not. The antidote to fear is actually love, and the Bible, the Bible tells us. And it's not our love. It's the Father's love in our hearts, shed abroad by the Holy Spirit. 
And God's love starts as soon as we get born again. And then we need to hungrily keep asking God to pour his love into us. I don't know about you, but when I, after I got born again, I was, I was like I was walking without touching the ground. I mean, life was just cool. The feelings, the emotions, it was, it was amazing. But in, in the years that carried on, in those first few years, things took place. It was, it was a whole new learning experience. But after a while, I started to bring it down to rules. And if I do this and do this and do that... But, you know, it's just, it's just programming. We can't, actually, we can't actually deal with fear. Only God's love drives out fear. Yeah. And we need to just, instead of trying to control our life so tightly like we do, we need to actually get on our knees or just get in a place and start crying out and saying, God, I need your love. I need more of your love. I need experiences of your love. You know, I would say in my, in my 40-something years of being a Christian, I haven't had enough experiences of God's love. But there's an unending amount that I can have available to me. Yeah. I wonder whether you've, you've thought how much are you praying, God, give me experiences of your love, because his love absolutely changes us. So in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. So if you've got fear in your heart and God's perfect love comes in, there is no fear, place for fear in your life, body, soul, or spirit. It's gone. It's the effect of God's love into us. And he says, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Has it got from here to here that all your punishment has been taken by your Savior? God's not angry. And there's no double jeopardy. What do I mean by that? Double jeopardy is a legal term that says you cannot be tried twice for the same crime. If you've been tried once, that's what stands. And Jesus Christ has been tried for, every, for that sin that worries us so badly. Yeah. There is no double jeopardy that we have to pay for it as well. Yeah. Perfect love drives it out because fear has to do with punishment. There is no punishment over your life or my life. I, I want to just... Um, and this is why I say we actually need to have... We, we've got so much head knowledge... Maybe too much head knowledge and not enough experiential of the love of God in our lives and our hearts. Can I read you just a passage that um, is one of the great passages on love? Where am I going to read from? No. (laughs) 1 John 4. That's exactly right. 14 verses starting at verse 7. It says, Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. See, the whole Christian life is summed up in this word, which has L-O-V-E, four letters. What's the Christian life about? It's about love. You want to boil it all down? So when we examine our life and and we find things that aren't love, then we've got places we can grow in. But the simplicity of the Christian life is that God is love and he wants us to live in love. It says love is the complete fulfillment of the law. 
Don't try to fulfill the law. Try to love. When we love, we're doing the very things that the law would say we're supposed to be doing. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This is love. It's not based on a foundation that we love God enough. If we had to get to heaven by loving God perfectly every day, every hour, every year, I don't get there. Seriously. I've got conflicting things for my love. I've got other interests in my life that my heart just goes after, and I find, oh, I'm actually not loving God. I've allowed my whole attention to go over here or over there or up there. If it was based on my ability to love God, I wouldn't get there. This is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. If you will ponder that for a while, it'll flip things in your thinking. It'll turn things that you thought were that way up, this way up. The foundation for the fact that you are safe, that you are saved, that you are going to heaven, that God's blessing will be upon your life is because he loved you. Not that he he looked around to see who's loving me. I'll love that person. He's looked at Nikki and thought, oh, Nikki's loving me. I'll love her back. No way. When God first thought about Nikki and loved her, she didn't exist. He just looked into the future and thought, I'll create someone really beautiful with lovely flowing hair and an incredible personality who's really smart. And she'll get into medicine, but she'll go into other things as well. And I've got plans for this, this one. I'm thinking about her. And she didn't even exist. And then when she did exist, she was born with this dumb thing that made her distant and attacking and defensive and controlling. Nikki, how could you be controlling? You just look so sweet. (laughs) And God didn't care that she was like that. He just said, I love her. And the basis of her saving and the fact that she is saved is because he loved her first. And when she began to realize how much she loved her, she began to love him back. And we are to grow in that loving back to God, but it's not on the basis that we love him back or we love him. It's on the basis that he loved us first. It's a foundation that can never be taken away. No one's ever going to steal that from God. God's never, ever going to lose it. God does not never, ever going to change his mind about how much he loves Nikki. And she's perfectly safe in him because he chose her to love. And he created something just unique. And now Matt gets to share that. That's cool. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. You know, when we worship, it says that the Holy Spirit loves our praise so much, he inhabits the praises of his people. Well, God says, when you love, you're going to draw more quantities. If you love people, especially if you love people that you don't like, especially if you love people that don't deserve to be loved, they actually deserve to 
in the face. But if you will go, no, I'm going to like you and learn to love you and be nice to you and I'm going to be a cheerleader for you even though you're doing these things to me. God says, that will attract more and more of love into me, into you. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. See, love is made complete. In other words, sometimes it's incomplete. In other words, there's more. That we can have from God. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love. That's God's love. Drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. That's the same thing said again. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister. Oh man. Wish I didn't have to read this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Man, that doesn't go well with so many years of my life (laughs) where I've had about people, especially some of my close friends. (laughs) We lived in a community for a while where four of us got together and we loved each other so much we all bought houses on the same block of land. Well, it wasn't too long before we had expectations for each other because the problem's out there, of course. It's not here. And so we were busy trying to change each other and that brings you into... But you can't move because you live next to each other. And, and then our wives started to you know, join forces with us guys. So his wife thought he was right and my wife thought I was right. And now the wives have got a little bit of mm between them as well. And <clears throat> Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever doesn't love their brother or sister whom they have seen can't love God whom they haven't seen. See, the the love is just kind of really tainted at that point. And I guess everyone else can see it. But we justify ourselves, don't we, when we get in those circumstances and we think we're pretty squeaky clean. And he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. You know, in that little passage, there's so many replacement words that can reprogram our mind from defensive, shut down, move away from this woman or this man that wants to know things that I don't want to tell about in my life, and I'm going to start attacking them because they're asking me about stuff, and I'm going to make it their problem, and I want to control them, and I want to win. And we can take hold of those sort of thoughts when they come, because the more we understand how God, what reality really is in the world, the more we can see when we're being false. Does that make sense? Yeah. And we can gather, capture some of those words, and then we can start putting some of these thoughts in instead. And it's these thoughts that drive out the fear and the control and the attack 
and we can actually just love people. And we can be concerned about how am I doing rather than worried about how they're doing and controlling them. Because the only person we really can influence is us. You know, I want to just give you three simple everydays. Every day. And the best way to reprogram is to say it out loud. Speak it out. Just speak it out. Every day, speak out certain things about what God says about his love. And it starts to create new patterns of thinking in our minds. Because we've got a pattern as attack. If someone says something too, too close to the bone, attack them. Make it their problem. Don't let it be your problem. So we need a new pattern that when, when that comes, we can just instantly flick into that new way of thinking. And the first thing to, to um, every day to say is, I absolutely trust that I'm loved, not because I love God, but that he first loved me. And it can never, ever change, because God will never change his mind. And the second day, the thing that we need to do every day is, is to remember that you are completely forgiven. We tend to forget this on a minute-by-minute basis. Well, I do, certainly on an hour-by-hour basis. But verse 10 said, he's the atoning sacrifice for your sins. They are atoned for. And secondly, we need to remember that God loves us so much, he lives inside of our life. He comes inside of us. So these, these un- uh, thoughts, as we, as we meditate on what the love of God actually says, are able to be brought back by the Holy Spirit in an instant, but only to the people that take the time to actually put them into the tracks of their mind and their heart. When I say only, that's too strong, because the Holy Spirit can just work independently, can't he? But the ones that can br- see this transformation take place quickly... Is not being conformed to the pattern of the world and the mind uh, of the world that's in our mind, but when we've when we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind of putting His Word inside of us, and you know you can rely on God's love; He's never ever going to take it away. And then this is the really crunch one, for me. Maybe it's easy for you, but remember every day to give His love away. Every day to give His love away, and especially to the people that don't deserve it. Especially to the people that have wronged you. Especially to the family members that have misinterpreted what you said and why you did something. And it's in a little gossip circle amongst certain people in your family. And you would love to just... And God says no. No especially the people that don't deserve it. And the reason that we can do that is because he just at times comes and asks us, did you deserve my forgiveness? Mm. No, not at all. And that's what gives us the ability to be able to actually forgive people that are hurting us. You know, this week I entered into a meeting amongst pastors where suddenly I was being criticised. And criticised with some, some energy in the room, actually, by about five or six different pastors around Christchurch. Um, and what I'd done is I'd done certain things in a way that they didn't want it to be done. They wanted it done their way. 
And I was really pleasantly surprised by my reaction because I could easily power up and give them my reasons and tell them that they're wrong, etc. And I found myself relatively non-defensively just answering them and, and being hopefully loving in what took place. And I think, man, where did that come from? <laughs> God. God's love in our hearts. And recently, I had to deal with a family issue that's quite close. It, it, it's um, wider than our family. It's just in our extended family situation. And uh, uh, where someone has acted very badly, very selfishly. And I haven't had to meet that person in the flesh yet. But I'm going to meet them at Christmas time, which is only, you know, a month away. And I really need God's love. Because, you know, what, what I would like to be able to say to that person is very different to what God would like me to be able to say to that person. You know, I would like to hold them to account and, and pin them to the wall with their attitude and their statements and that sort of thing. But I'm not going to do that. I've decided I'm not going to do that because I want to be free. I don't want to be put in a chain and, and in, inside a box. And I want them to grow up because that's a big part of what the issue is. They just need to grow up into maturity. And most of all, I actually want them in the kingdom. And if I attack them, I've just shut off every single possibility of my words influencing them for the kingdom of God. And it's not my... It's not my job to fix them, remember? So I really need God's love as I meet this person face to face. <laughs> and there will be situations in your life that are probably coming to mind very similarly too. And God says, hey, it's all about love. We've got this thing that will make us um, distant and just not want to share and shut down. We've got this thing that will cause us to want to attack if something comes too close. We've got this thing that, that um, I can't, what was the third one? Control the situation. But God wants us to just let his love flow through us. I, I just really encourage you to get hungry and to say to God, I don't think this is a one prayer thing. I think the more experiences we have of God's love just touching into our life, the greater amount of God's love we're able to give. And when we give his love away, when it's hardest, I think it attracts the energy and attention of heaven and more and more and more love comes into our life to be able to do it and to be bigger and better people. Graham. Oh, sorry, Mike. We just want to give you some space to kind of ponder with the Holy Spirit what God is, what John has been saying. And we want to do that um, by, we want to like sing over you. Um, this piece has been written by one of the team um, out of this series. It's kind of been like the heart's cry out of this series that is here. And um, so... Close your eyes if you'd like. Um, just 
keep that connection going with God, that he started that conversation that he's been having with you. And um, have some good dialogue with him.